Tonight, I want to talk about the key to a blessed life. How many people don't want to have a blessed life here? <laughs> you know, it's like, I think usually sometimes when we hear somebody has a blessed life, we kind of think about people that have a successful life too. I think that kind of goes uh, side by side there a lot of times. And so what comes to your mind if you think about when you hear somebody say, oh, that person has a blessed life or that person has a successful life? I think a lot of times if you ask people what that means, they're going to tell you, oh, it's somebody that has a lot of money or someone who has a nice house or nice cars. You know, they'll also probably say that, you know, now in this day and age, they'll probably say that the key to a successful person is that they have this big social media presence and, or they have a lot of friends or their calendar is always full, right? That's kind of what we think about when we think of a successful person, just somebody always going and going. So I decided to look on Google, you know, the place that we always go to look for stuff. And of course, there's many ways that people believe someone is leading a successful life. But on one of the sites that I looked at, it kind of hit the nail on the, uh, on the head for me as on what somebody that pe a lot of people think is a successful life. And on this particular website, it said that there's four pillars that create our success. And the first one was personal health. The second was strong relationships. The third, financial security. And the fourth was a passion for your work. I think these are all great uh, aspects of a successful life. And so this is kind of how the world determines whether you're successful or not. And I'm not saying these four things are necessarily bad because they're not. Because we as believers in Christ, you know, we want to have good personal health. We want to have strong relationships with others. We all want to have financial security. And we also want to have passion for our work. But this list is missing something very important. It's missing that the key to a successful life is our relationship with God. And that should come first. Because once we have that relationship with God, everything else kind of falls in line. So true success in life is being obedient to God and his word. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Being motivated not by greed, but by the love for God and others. And always seeking the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so the Bible gives us so many examples of how we as passionate followers of Christ can live and have a successful life. And so tonight, I want to look at Psalm 128. Now, Psalm 128 is a psalm that focuses on God's work in and through the family, as well as living a blessed life and the joy and blessings for those who fear the Lord. So let's go to the Word of God right now. This is Psalm 128. There's just six verses on it. And it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. 
May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Heavenly Father, as we come um, with your word tonight, Lord, I just ask you to um, help us uh, study and read and, and know your word. Give us the wisdom, Lord, uh, tonight to, um, to seek your face always um, so that we can uh, be in awe and reverence of you, Lord. And I just pray for all of those here tonight, Lord. I'm just so thankful that um, everybody got here safely, Lord. And I pray for all of those watching online, Lord, that you'll be with them um, and that they will enjoy this study, Lord. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, Psalm 128 is known as a psalm or a song of ascent. And so psalms or songs of ascent are a group of psalms specifically Psalms 120 to 134. And the theme of each of these offers encouragement for those who seek to worship God today. And so if you look in your Bible and if you look at those Psalms, you might see at the top of it, it says Song of Ascent. And so the word in Hebrew, Ascent in Hebrew comes from, uh, it means to go up or going up. And so that's what that means and so when you see that in your Bible, just know that it means that these were songs that the Jewish people sang when they were traveling to the city of Jerusalem, which is situated on a high hill. And so they had to go to all of their feasts, and so they would travel to the city of Jerusalem, and they had to go up because Jerusalem was about 2,500 feet above sea level. So that's why they called them a song of ascent. And a lot of times they would sing these songs. They would sing these songs as they were traveling with one another. And it would give them an encouragement. It would give them hope. Um, and so that's what these songs of ascent are. And so when they would travel to Jerusalem for one of the three annual Jewish festivals, you know, that's what they would do. They would travel to Jerusalem and they would walk up this hill and then they would worship God as they traveled. Another thing about Psalm 128 is if you take the Psalm right before it, Psalm 127, you can read those both together um, because if you read in Psalm 127, it warns that life, family, and work are in vain without God. And then when you go to Psalm 128, it sings that life, family, and work are blessed when you live for God. So Psalm 128 describes for us the blessing of a man who walks with God and fears and reverences the Lord. And a lot of times Psalm 128 is read on Father's Day because it does talk about the man. Um, and, and, and so a lot of times they do that. And then it's also talking about marriage. So sometimes, you know, it's, it's known as a marriage psalm as well. And so we'll see right in the beginning of this psalm that God wants us to have a full and complete and blessed life. And so blessed means to have a happy life, and it's actually a plural, and it means happy, happy. And when I was reading that, I remember that guy from, um, I think it's Uncle Cy or something, he says, happy, happy, I think he says that. So it, it means happy, happy, to have a blessed life, to have a happy life. And so this is what God wants for his people, and this is what God has in store for, him, for us people. I mean, how many times do you hear I know I've heard this several times. How many times have you heard in your life that says Christians are so boring or that we live a life of nothing but rules and we're not allowed to have any fun at all? And I don't know about you, but I found that actually the Christian life and having a life centered on Christ 
is a happy life. It's, there's nothing boring about it. Um, and so I, I think that they're completely wrong when I've heard people say that about Christians because we have a happy life and we have a blessed life. And so the first thing that I like to focus on here is the first part of the psalm and say that a blessed life begins with fearing the Lord. The blessed life begins with fearing the Lord. In Psalm 128, we see this term, fear of the Lord, twice. In both times, we see it as a blessing, if you can think about it. And so the theme of this psalm is that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And so I think many people have a wrong view of what it means to fear the Lord. I mean, when I heard it, I thought, you know, I think of, you know, getting in trouble by your parents or something or being afraid of something. And so to fear the Lord does not mean that we are afraid of God and that he's some angry parent that we're running away from. But fearing the Lord means that we are in awe of God's majesty and that we approach him with reverence and honor and respect. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And so for believers in Christ, a fear of the Lord is not an unhealthy fear that we might think of when we hear it or being afraid of something or someone who may do us harm. It just means that we are taking God at his word and we are putting him first in our lives. Now for the unbeliever, the fear of the Lord is completely different and it's not a healthy fear. It's a fear that there, it's a real fear for unbelievers that the judgment of God and eternal separation from God is their outcome. So there's a difference from how we as Christians should fear the Lord and how those that don't believe should fear the Lord. I remember reading from the late pastor and author Tim LaHaye. He once wrote, we will never understand the heart of God until we learn to revere the holiness of God. If we want to know him, we must first learn to honor him. So fearing the Lord means that we honor him and we put him first in our lives over everything. In Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, we read, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, a king, let us be thankful and, ple and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. So that gives you the, the, that we're to worship him with a holy fear and, a, and, and awe in him. We're just in awe of his presence and, and, and his promises. And so this in Hebrews is basically the Christian definition of the fear of the Lord. We have an unshakable foundation. Unlike the world that we live in today, we have an unshakable foundation. Jesus' kingdom cannot be shaken. And since we have a promise that we are receiving his kingdom, and because we are in the process of receiving his kingdom, we're to worship him at all times with holy fear and awe. Amen? We also see in Proverbs 1-7, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I don't know about you, but I want to be wise in my life. I don't want to be known as a, a fool that despises wisdom. I think about when we talk to each other, 
You know, there's so much that we can learn from one another. You know, um, we get wisdom from everybody. And, and if you're asking somebody that knows something about something or did that for a career, and then you just kind of brush it off, you're, you're kind of being a fool about that because you're not learning from this person who, and the same way with us, we might have other things that other people can come to us and ask us about. And so when we fear the Lord, it's the beginning of knowledge. And we don't want to despise, you know, the wisdom and the instruction of the Lord. I was reading a story about two young men in a church youth group, and they were discussing their driver's education class. And so they were discussing how one of the young men um, said that his driver's ed teacher told him that they were to be afraid when they got behind the wheel of a car and how driving could be very good for them because it'll take them to school, take them to the mall, take them to their friend's house. But it can also change in a moment of time with accidents and car breakdowns and people could get seriously hurt. So we shouldn't be afraid to drive, but we should respect driving because it has great responsibility, as we know. And so as these young men continue to talk about this, they began to talk about, they've heard, you know, the people in the church, the older people in the church talk about fearing the Lord. And so one of the young men said to the other, well, you know, I was reading my Bible this morning and I came across the verse that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And for the first time I understood what the fear of God is all about. It's not being scared of him, but it's realizing that he is God and he has the power of life and death and he's the judge of good and evil. And so we cannot have true wisdom until we fully understand who God is. And that's why we read our Bible and our, we study our Bible daily and we pray to him so we can fully understand who he is. Um, and, we, and we can have, and once we start doing that, we begin to have a reverence or a healthy fear of him. And then we can understand who God is. We can understand that he's a holy God. He is a just God. He is a loving God. And he is a righteous God. And so when we see the fear of the Lord in the Bible, we can understand that it's not that fear of another person, but it's a proper respect for him. There was an English clergyman and author in the 1600s. His name was William Grinnell. And he once said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. And that kind of brought, and that, those couple words just kind of brought a lot out to me. That sometimes I think that we fear men more than sometimes we fear God. And I don't know, um, you know, it doesn't owe good to fear men, you know, uh, more than we fear God. If you remember, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, he said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So God's the one that we're to have that holy fear of, not man. I mean, if you think about it, the worst a man can do to us is destroy the body. But not having a health of, healthy fear of God has eternal consequences. You know, when we read further in Matthew 10, Jesus also talks about resting in his care right after he talks about fearing the Lord. So we can, we can rest in his care. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that company or saw the shirts that say no fear. <laughs> I've seen them a lot. I think a lot younger when I was younger, I saw them a lot. But, you know, having no fear is not really a good idea. 
You know, when I was growing up, I had a healthy fear of my parents. You know, it wasn't that I was afraid that they were going to hurt me if I got in trouble. It wasn't uh, fear where I was scared of them. I wasn't afraid of them, but it was respect for them. It was respect that they loved me and they were looking out for the best for me. And they wanted to make sure I didn't hurt myself or I didn't get into too much trouble. And so as we as believers in Christ can have that same healthy fear in the Lord, you know, we're not scared of him. We're not to be scared of him. We have no reason to be. You know, we have his promise from him that he would never leave us or forsake us. And so there's nothing that we can do that will separate us from his love. So just as many of us had respect and honor to our parents and we want that same honor and respect from our children, God wants us to have reverence for him and to have a fear of him means that we respect him. So secondly, we also see in Psalm 128 that a blessed life is a fruitful life. It's a fruitful life. How many times have you heard Christians say that God has blessed them with what they have or God's blessed me with, for my children and our children are blessings to us? And this is very true. We have been blessed by God. And in Psalm 128.2, we read, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So when we're blessed, it's also going to be well with us. You know, when a husband and a wife fear the Lord and they built their foundation of their family upon the Lord, God promises to bless them in their finances and they'll be able to provide for their family. But what that doesn't mean is, it doesn't mean that we're all going to be rich. It doesn't mean that we're going to be able to drive a brand new $60,000 car or live in a $400,000 house. But what that means is that we're blessed it's, it means that we're going to be able to provide for our family. And when we have this fruitful life and our foundation rests upon the Lord, we will be thankful for what we do have and we will be filled with joy. As the second part of verse 2 says, it shall be well with you. So we'll be happy with what we have. We'll, be, we'll, we'll say, I'm, you know, I have what I have. I have my family. I have my house. I have my cars. I have my church family. I'm, I'm truly blessed. You know, and we live in a world where we want more and more. Everybody wants more and more. But we just need to be happy with what we have and know that it's the Lord that gave it to us and that the Lord provided for us. Um, you know, I heard once somebody say once that happiness is a byproduct of a healthy relationship with God. We don't have to keep searching for happiness. Our happiness can be found in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon once said, we must reverence the ever-blessed God before we can be blessed ourselves. So we have to uh, reverence God and know that he's the one that's given us everything that we have. And then we can start knowing that we are truly blessed. We are truly blessed in this nation. And so true happiness comes from those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways and to those who obey his ways. And so when we fear the Lord, we will take pleasure in all that we do and strive to be the best in our work, in our studies, and in our family. And I like how it says, you know, it tells us that, you know, we'll have a fruitful life and then by the labor of our hands. And I kind of think like a farmer and stuff like that. And, and even though we don't cultivate usually our own food, and I mean, sometimes we do and, you know, with, with different fruits and vegetables and stuff, but 
Um, you know, it's like when we come home from work and we're satisfied with what we did and that we know that when we come home, we did the best that we could do. And so now we're at home and we're not dreading being there and we can just sit and we can just enjoy our family. And so that's kind of like how I look at it as being, um, you know, having a fruitful life. That's a fruitful life, being able to do that. It's also knowing that the Lord is with you when you go through your daily life and that through him you can tackle any obstacle that may come your way. We have farmland behind our house and when I hear the, this verse, you know, I always think about the farmer, like I said, and, and he goes through and he plows those fields and he works really hard and then he enjoys the fruits of his labor and he also sells that stuff and he, you know, other people can enjoy the fruits of his labor. And so whatever we do in life, we do for the glory of God. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything that we do, no matter if we're working, if we're in school and studying, we do it for the glory of God. That's the outcome of it. And the purpose of the Christian life is not to see what we can get away with. Our purpose is to glorify God in everything that we do. And if you read the Bible, in the Bible it says it considers work as a good thing. You know, it's not um, a burden to us. It shouldn't be a burden. Even though sometimes we may think that it is, but it's not. It shouldn't be. And so when we're at work and we glorify God through our work, even when we're having bad days, our bad days don't seem to be as bad as we think they might be because we have that joy of the Lord. We have, that, we have the Lord with us. We, have, we want to do it for the glory of God. And so when we're doing that, then other people around us at work will see us and maybe we'll get somebody else in a good mood, even when we think we're in a bad mood. Um, I remember a friend asked me before I retired, uh, after being a police officer for 20 years, um, and, he and I, I remember we were talking and, and he knew I was getting another job and he said, man, he goes, I don't know how you can go back into the workplace and just not, not, and just dis not dislike everybody. You know, because I mean, obviously we dealt with a lot of people, different people over the 20 years. And, and it's just, I, I told him, I said, I just have the joy of the Lord in me. And I don't, I don't dislike people. You know, I want to talk to people. I want to interact with people. I want to, I want to, you know, proclaim the gospel to people. And so that's kind of the difference there is that I wanted to glorify God in everything that I did. And I didn't let all that other stuff, you know, get in my soul there. And so our foundation of our family must be built around the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's sad, but in these days we live in, we see so many families not building their foundation on seeking the kingdom of God. But they're building their foundation on shaky ground. And they start building their foundation on other kingdoms like their jobs or they're trying to accumulate more wealth and more material things. And they're not putting God first in their lives. So in everything that we do, we should seek first his kingdom. And when we do that, we can enjoy all of our blessings that he promised us of a heavenly treasure, fellowship with him and being part of his kingdom. Our salvation, our relationship with Christ is greater than anything we can find on this earth. It's greater than any wealth we can obtain, and it's greater than any relationship that we can have. In fact, when we continue to seek the kingdom of God first in our lives, not only will we have a blessed and fruitful life, 
but our relationships will be better. And we'll begin to see that we'll have a blessing in our family life. And we'll be blessed in our family life. And then we see in verse 3 of Psalm 128, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around the table. So Psalm 128 provides for us what a family unit should look like. It shows us that the foundation of the family life is fearing the Lord and walking daily with him. The family is God's masterpiece to his creation. And God put children in families so they can experience his love and learn how to love others so that the family unit is close to God's heart. In fact, if you remember, it was right in the beginning of his creation that God knew that it was not good for man to be alone. So he created a woman to be the man's helper. And then God blessed this unity between man and woman, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so this was God's plan from the very beginning. And we see this as we continue to read God's word, his plan for the family. I love the description of a blessed life at home. One thing I've noticed about the world, though, is that the world blesses men, and they think that men are successful when they succeed at work and they fail at home. We see this alarming rate of fatherlessness in the home, divorce, abortion, and many other things. And it seems like a lot of times the world applauds and rewards this, and I think it's shameful. Like I said, when I was a police officer, I saw so many of my coworkers losing their marriages and and finding themselves in bad relationships with their children because they chose work over being a blessing to their family. And it's not just at my job. I'm sure everyone here or anybody watching online has seen this as well. And so the Bible, on the other hand, calls it a blessing when we as believers in Christ put God first in our lives, our family second, and then work and everything else. A biblical blessing in our family life is when, we, when a family is committed wholly to Christ and he's the head of the household for them. And they align with biblical principles and are continuously seeking God and his kingdom in all they do. And so when we have this picture of a blessed family, we'll see in, as in verse three says, we'll also have a blessed marriage and a blessing of children. In Psalm 128.3, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. So the psalmist here is speaking of a fulfillment in the home, first giving a beautiful picture of marriage, and then to the children at home. And I always chuckle when I see that, you know, the, the fruitful vine and the olive shoots um, being described as our wife and our children. And so this gives an image of God's favor, showing God's favor. And when we read what a wife, you know, is going to be like a fruitful vine, it's being shown as a blessing from God. When a man and a woman make a covenant vow that's centered completely on Christ, not only will God continue to bless their marriage, but the husband and wife will be more productive for God's kingdom. Because a biblical-based marriage keeps Christ as the head of the man and wife together. And I love that picture of the, that the psalm presents of a fruitful vine within the house. And so when I hear this, I picture a vine that needs a pole or a fence to help support it. And when the vine has good support, it bears good fruit. So a wife needs to, needs to have that stability and that support of her husband to, be, to bear spiritual fruit. 
And so the husband is to be supportive in his role as the head of the family and not uninvolved in the home with the children. And it's the same way with the wife to the husband. The wife encourages and helps the husband in his spiritual growth because marriage is a beautiful picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And so we should strive to continue to submit to God and each other. When there's a marriage that is rooted in God's word, we will see the result of this and it will be the blessing of children. And so in Psalm 128.3, it says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And so I was thinking about that. I was like, think about what an olive shoot is. And so I was looking it up. And when I was reading a little about it, about it as an olive tree's age, younger shoots grow around it. And it's ready to take over the place of the tree before it, and then it shoot, then these shoots will become strong olive trees when they're nurtured. And so that's what an olive shoot is. And so olive shoots are not olive trees right away, but they take time to mature. So we as parents are to provide a nurturing environment for our children. And then one day they'll grow up to be sturdy olive trees. And it's interesting, too, to see that the olive tree is mentioned many times in the Bible. From the time of the flood, when the dove brought the olive branch to Noah in Genesis 8, and Noah knew because of this that there was a sign of life. This was a sign of life that Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. So we see it all the way from Genesis 8 all the way to Revelation 11, where we see the two witnesses represented as, as two olive trees. And so if you get some time... I would suggest you do a, a kind of study on olive trees and, and its significance in the Word of God. Um, because we see everything from olive trees to olive branches to olive oils. Um, and olive oils from the olive tree were essential to their ancient Near East, Near East um, for health. And so we see these olive shoots being described as those who fear the Lord's children. And another thing we know about olive trees is they are slow-growing trees. They require patience and nurturing in order for them to reach their full fruitfulness. And it's the same way with our children. They require patience and nurturing and love. And so that's why I, I love that, you know, it talks about our children being olive shoots. How many times have we seen children that we, you know, when we have children, we, you know, we say, oh, that looks like, you know, your mom, or you look like your dad, or, you know, sometimes we, you know, oh, you got a, your father's nose, and um, so we see that all the time. We want our children to be compared to us, kind of, and so that's kind of how we do that, you know, when we're nurturing them, and we're loving them, and we're bringing them up in a, in a godly home, you know, that's when we can say that, you know, hey, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there, or, you know, sometimes, you know, you hear like father like son, you know, so. Or sometimes, you know, we hear that this young girl is as beautiful, beautiful as her mother. So, you know, we like to hear that stuff. We like to hear a comparison of our children to us. And so as, we, as our children get older, we want them to start following in our footsteps and we pray that they take on our work ethic. And many times, as I said, we want them to follow in our footsteps. You know, maybe enjoy the same music that we do or have the same interests or hobbies. You know, it's important for us to hang out with them and, and do things and, and you know, but the most important thing that we want our children to do is we want them to follow in our footsteps spiritually. And so that's what that's all about, you know. 
And so that's why it's very important for us as parents to bring up our children you know, in church. It's, it's good to bring our children to church consistently from a small age and get them involved with other children from the group. You know, Bring your children to church on Sundays or Wednesdays and get involved and let them meet Pastor Corey and Jeanette and get them involved in all the wonderful uh, you know, children and teen activities and programs that we have here at Woodland. You know, it's good to have them come into church and, and, and be in there because we need to continue to nurture, nurture our children as they grow and not just you know, let them, because if you don't water the tree or nurture the tree, the tree is going to die, right? So we have, you know, we have the next generations to think about. And so in Psalm 128.4, we see again that it says, blessed is the man who fears God. So that's why I said the theme of this is kind of a blessing to the man who fears God. And so this is a reaffirming of what was said in the beginning of this psalm, that there's a blessing from the Lord when we fear him. And so when we fear the Lord, our blessings not only show up in our work and our family life, but it also impacts our communities. You know, strong families create strong communities. Families are building blocks of our society. And God-fearing families are vital to healthy cities and nations. You know, when families are blessed by God, it overflows and has a great impact on the communities around us. And so as the last two verses, um, it's a benediction and a prayer for the blessing, as you see. And it says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And so the psalmist here is using Zion here as he's referring to God's earthly dwelling. And so when we fear, our, when we fear the Lord, our blessings will extend out and it'll automatically start sharing our blessings with those around us. Once we receive these blessings from God, we'll be concerned not only you know, about our work and our family, but we'll also have a concern for our cities and our communities and our nation and the future of our family. You know, and we'll pray for our leaders and, and you know, we need to continue to pray for our leaders both locally and nationally. Um, and so when we're as a family like that, you know, we pray for our future generations as well. You know, we pray that they, um, you know, will call upon the name of the Lord and that they will, uh, you know, fear the Lord as we do. You know, I always think about that. You know, people always talk about our nation, you know, turning back to God. But if we want our nation to turn back to God, it takes God-fearing fathers to stay in prayer for their families and their leaders, both locally and nationally and federally. You know, we need to restore the sanctity of the home if we want America to be what our founders intended it to be. It takes godly men and women to get on our knees and prioritize our hearts and continue to fear the Lord and obey his commands. It takes God-fearing parents to continue to teach their children and their grandchildren the word of God and tell them the importance of prayer because that's where it begins. It begins with godly parents echoing the words of Joshua saying as he did in, in, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil for you in your, in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the re region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And that's from Joshua 24, 14, and 15. And so we should not only, as the end of the psalm says, pray for the peace of Israel, but we should also be praying for the peace of our nation. We should be praying that there's a revival in our land, that people come back to the Lord, and that people will get on their knees and pray for one another and pray for families as families. My friends, this psalm does not promise us nonstop blessing or great wealth to everybody that follows Christ. It doesn't even promise that all believers will have children or that every marriage will be blessed with children. But what it does promise us is that we serve a God who loves to bless us and that a true follower of Christ is blessed no matter the circumstances that they find themselves in. They know that they're blessed by God because he promised us that. Our true contentment or our happiness that we crave can never come from the material things of this world. It can only be found in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's through his grace that we can rejoice and hope in the glory of God. So Psalm 128, and I hope that you go back and you read this many times over again, because as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Psalms are a wonderful place to read and study God's word. And a lot of the um, different Bible study apps and stuff have you going through the book of Psalms a couple times just because there's so much beauty and promise in them. And so Psalm 128 is a beautiful, beautiful psalm that tells us of God's blessing on those who fear the Lord. Psalm 128 also describes the blessings in terms of the family unit that God created, which is the complete and ideal family. But I also know that because of sin, we don't have the perfect or ideal families all the time. Sadly, we still, still see both in Christian and non-Christian homes, we see divorce, abuse, homelessness, addiction. And so we're not always promised a perfect family here in this life. But we are promised that no matter what we go through, God can and will bless us right where we are. And God wants us to fear him and walk in his ways. But when we read this psalm, we see it putting before us the ideal and perfect family. This psalm points beyond our broken, sinful families here on earth to the beauty and perfection of God's family in heaven. So none of us are going to have a perfect family here on earth, but God does promise us that we will all experience the blessing of a perfect family in heaven. And so we also know that God may or may not bless you with marriage or children in this life. And there's some that stay single and there's some that don't have children. But we know that the promise of this psalm remains. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. God has made this promise to bless those who fear him and walk in his ways. God's blessing is available to everyone. We just have to choose to welcome God's blessing in our life. The influence of a God-fearing person is great, and we see it over and over again in our communities and our country. And so Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took the penalty that was due to us. He took the curse of God for sin upon us, his own flesh on the cross, and he paid it in full so that we could come and know God's blessing. So I'm asking you tonight, don't miss out on God's blessing. Fear God and walk in his ways that you may know the fullness of God's blessing in your life. 
and blessed are all who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Heavenly Father, once again, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for everybody that came here, Lord. And I just pray for all of those that are, that are hurt or suffering, Lord. And, and I just pray that you will just be with them, Lord, and that you will guide them and that they will see your blessing. Even if they don't see it right now, Lord, that they will see that you are working in their lives, Lord, and that they will come to you and they will get on their knees, Lord, and they will fear you and walk in your ways as always, Lord. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Once again, if you'd like to give, there's three ways to give. You can go to our website, woodland.church. You can also download our free app. That's Woodland Church Mobile. Or you can text the number on the screen. If you need prayer, you can uh, email prayer at woodland.church. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you.